Alex Mosen, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech monopolies. And oh boy, these past few weeks have been phenomenal. Um, we're certainly going to cover some more of the latest on the Elon Twitter free speech enlightening that platform is getting uh, with, a, with a little hard dose of that uh, free speech, <laughs> free speech enlightenment, whether they like it or not. Um, so we're definitely going to dig into that. Also, speaking of free speech and social media platforms, let's look at what's going on in China. I mean, free speech in China are certainly doesn't get any more oxymoronic than that. Uh, but still on Weibo, which is kind of like the Twitter of China, there's a interesting little kind of thread on peeking under the hood of the free speech, um, the lack of free speech inside of a, a, a platform in China. Andreessen released a new top 100, you know, their kind of annual top 100 marketplace ranking. Uh, some interesting new additions to that list and some interesting uh, kind of rising or falling uh, rankings for for some marketplaces. So we're going to take a look at that as well. So let's start off with with you know with the highlight, which is Twitter and Elon. We actually haven't done too many videos on this topic because I've been traveling a lot, and so right when this stuff first went down with Twitter, I was gone and and you know just can't get into the studio. But the video we recorded was recorded before Elon's latest offer to buy Twitter. And in that video, basically predicted that this, this was going to have to happen. Uh, and here's that highlight, and here is why. Just happened faster than I think anyone would, would have thought, myself included. So here's the bit. You look at the, you look at the video, you know, there's some hyperlinks in the, in the comments. You go to this one, will the Twitter takeover get ugly? Elon's a busy guy. He cares deeply about these causes, clearly. I think he's dipping his toe into the Twitter water. He's kind of seeing, hey, will the management work with me, right? Are we going to do this the nice way or the hard way? I don't think the nice way is going to work, especially based upon Parag's response, how he's handled the past few weeks since talking to Elon in private, and then have, particularly his public communications have been abysmal. Um, and it looks like he's just doubling down on, on what Twitter has been doing and not admitting, first step is admitting, hey, we've got a free speech problem. No sign of that. And I don't, I don't know what it's, you know, what, like what else does Elon need to do to wake the guy up? You gotta shake him. You're like, hey, like wake up. I don't think it's going to work. He's been there for like almost 11 years. Was it going to happen the nice way? I just didn't expect it to happen this fast. Where, you know, the hard way is, well, I'll just buy you and do what I want, which means, Parag, you're going to be out of a job, my friend. So will this acquisition go through? It's absolutely the right thing in terms of what is, why did Elon get involved into this business in the first place? Was to try and bring back Twitter to the core function of a, of, of a platform business model to enable free speech, to enable the exchange of ideas and information and um, enable creativity, right? And what free speech, what Twitter has done is gone in the opposite direction, the 1984, the thought police direction, which is to restrict free speech and impose their will uh, upon what you can or cannot say. And even, you know, even when you 
restrict certain things, just the, just the fact that you are restricting things and banning people and shadow banning people and, you know, taking tweets down, right? Just like the presence of an overlord that will take punitive action on you for saying things that, you know, you're not like physically threatening harm on people. You're just saying things that people disagree with. It's called fascism. That's called what the Chinese, what the Russians, what these communist countries do to their own people. That's not American, right? And that's what, that's why Elon is doing this, right? The critics and the tech journalists will like to say that Elon's trying to make money and this and that and try and take pot shots at Elon. This is Elon's latest distraction. These people have no idea what they're talking about. I took a position in Twitter, full disclosure, because I think Elon's serious. Will it get done or not? I don't know. Frankly, it should get done because he's paying a handsome premium over the current share price. And the current share price, right, is already inflated from the mid 30s share price, which is where it was before everyone learning that Elon had taken a stake, right? The only reason it's at, you know, 45 bucks is because everyone learned, oh, Elon's in it. And then that jacked up the price another 20% or so. This is. Goldman Sachs analysts rating on Twitter from February of 2022, right? They say have a 12 month price tag, price target of $30 a share, right? And at that time it was at 37, 38. So they predicted it to go down and their recommendation was sell it, right? Get out of the stock. So no one was bullish on this company and rightly so. For all the reasons we've talked about for months, if not years on this show about the problems that Twitter has, and why they are what they are. If you're interested in that, go check out one of many videos we've done on their failure to innovate and horrible leadership and management team, who now one of those horrible members of the management team is now CEO Parag, who was former CTO at Twitter. Nothing's changing, right? It's just the same old, same old. The Twitter board is not addressing reality. And the reality is that the market thinks that this stock doesn't have any growth potential, hence as evidenced by Goldman's, you know, rating on it. Um, but like, just look at their U.S. user base. It's not growing. It's at best case plateaued. And I think Twitter's playing games with those numbers. Um, their only thing that they say is growing is if their global user, you know, monthly active user count. But you don't make money off of those people. They've completely failed to actually introduce new ways to monetize their audience. Like they don't know how to innovate. They've, it's just horrible management. And that's what it is. Now they have more of that horrible management at the helm. The guy's been there for over a decade. Why would you expect a different outcome? You needed a change. Why would you promote the guy quarterbacking what you have been doing, which hasn't been working? Which is all indicative that Jack Dorsey was also the wrong CEO. I've been talking about that for years. Elliot tried to get him out. They weren't able to. When you recognize that Elon's offering to pay a massive premium when you consider the stock, say, at $37, $38 a share, and he's offering to pay $54 a share, massive premium on the company, or, or are you going to bet on Parag to go make these changes when the guy has been working on the changes for years under Jack Dorsey and has failed to do it? No, I would take my money. If, I, if the board is acting in the shareholder's best interest, the board takes this offer all day long. Now, one of these dumb CNBC analysts says, oh, well, yeah, you know, Elon just, you know, he does, said he doesn't have the financing lined up to go buy the rest, you know, the other 90% of, of uh, Twitter. Do these people not understand this is the richest person in the world? <laughs> like, 
You don't think Elon can go figure out how to put enough equity capital into Twitter and then finance however much of it he needs with debt to buy this company? Like, seriously? It's getting interesting. Elon is definitely serious. People of this caliber who are this busy and this powerful don't do these things just because they're bored or they have a distraction. The guy cares deeply about this. His offer to buy them is entirely serious. His offer to buy them is entirely um, appropriate and reasonable and you know a good deal for shareholders given how badly this company has been mismanaged and, and how far from their core mission and, and value proposition they've gotten. And there's and and Elon has tried the nice way. It just it's funny how much hey let's do this the nice way Elon was willing to tolerate was actually like three or four weeks from when he started to talk to Prague in private, and then we saw how Prague handled this thing. And as we talked about in our last video, completely mishandled it. It's a complete amateur from preemptively announcing Elon joining the board. Amateur, wrong. And then in his statement saying, basically, yeah, we don't have any issues, right? Like not able to be, have the self-awareness to recognize that you have issues, Twitter. You have a freedom of speech issue. Yeah, but he doesn't say that. He basically says, nope, uh, our plans remain unchanged. We need to stay focused, can't get distracted, right? Like we aren't doing anything wrong. We don't, right? he's not admitting to the current state of affairs. So despite Twitter's board today voting to institute a poison pill. Basically what a poison pill is, is it means that if you try and have a hostile takeover where you buy a lot of shares in a company without the board approving it, uh, then the board can allow other people to buy shares at a discounted price, which ultimately makes it more expensive for the acquiring, you know, a kind of activist acquirer to continue to purchase shares, right? Because now other people can buy those same shares at a discount. Whereas he, in this case being Elon, has to pay full rack. So, you know, you kind of put these provisions in place to thwart an activist from uh, taking control. I mean, to me, the board is acting in a manner that says, no, we don't, we don't want to be acquired at all, as opposed to saying, hey, let's Let's go, let's go negotiate, right? Hey, you think it's 54.20. We think it's 60. Okay, you know, maybe you meet at 57, right? Like, no, now they're, they're trying to put in provisions to prevent him from taking it over theoretically at all. More echo chamber, more blinders. They don't want to see the truth. The media doesn't want to see the truth. Twitter doesn't want to see the truth. Elon's going to wake him up to it. I think this will go through. I do. I think it will go through. I don't know um, how. It may not be this current iteration of it, but Twitter is not a monopoly. You can just buy them if you have a billionaire that cares passionately about American ideals. But you can't go buy Google and Facebook and then do the same thing. It doesn't work that way. So how do you then beat the monopoly? Well, this is certainly a step in the right direction. This being Elon taking over Twitter and injecting some you know, America uh, into, the, into the concoction. So switching gears a little bit, let's look at the state of free speech in China. Yes, a massive oxymoron, I'm aware. But let's look at this. Uh, There's an interesting thread on Twitter 
talking about it's gone unnoticed by many. So I felt like, you know, I should properly document what just happened on Weibo, which is like Chinese Twitter. Netizens in China for just a few hours got to unleash their wrath on the Chinese government for how they handled the COVID crisis in Shanghai, which was, I think, a, a recent kind of uh, lockdown in Shanghai over COVID kind of flare up uh, and other social issues. It's just in the past few days. So it all started around midnight in China uh, when two topics became number one and number two, respectively, on Weibo. Uh, the first one was Shanghai handled several rumors regarding COVID. And the second one is the U.S. is the biggest country of human rights deficit. Yes, despite all of Twitter's thought policing in 1984 issues, I would still say that the U.S. is definitely not the biggest country of human rights deficit, right? There's still a, a very, very big divide between China <laughs> And uh, no comprehension of human rights whatsoever and the United States. Now, you know, then there's where the United States should be, which is over here. We're like right here. And then China's all the way over here. They're not even they're not even on the on the video. For context, topics of this scale of sensitivity don't top the chart unless the authorities approved it. Right. So you're not going to have these things ranking on the top of Weibo unless the fix is in. And this is actually, you know, a government op. So this could be considered as propaganda efforts rather than what, uh, you know, the, the people were genuinely interested in. We've seen this kind of efforts throughout the Russian invasion of Ukraine, where China would direct criticism at the West and whitewash Russia. But the interesting thing is that this time their efforts backfired big time. It seemed that many netizens had enough of the Chinese government's attempts to escape criticism by focusing on how bad the West and the U.S. is. So they occupied the hashtag. The second hashtag there, U.S. is the biggest country of human rights deficit to express their anger at the state. You can't express it directly because you'd just be taken down. So instead, they use satire and sarcasm to get their point across. Most of these criticisms came uh, in the form of satire. One raised the examples of the 996 work environment where you work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. Yep, that's real. That's China. High housing prices, high interest, low income, right? So talking about all these things and, oh, yeah, we have, China has the most human rights. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, another one here. Yeah, we seal people's doors, kill pets, waste medical resources so patients with more urgent needs miss the opportunities to be treated. But our death number is zero. That's right. I don't, I don't think COVID has actually killed anyone in China. China is the most human rights deprived and authoritarian country in the world. Surprised that even got through, frankly. Um, that guy's going to be getting a visit on his door. Knock, knock. Hey, buddy. Can't say these things. Going to put you through uh, re-education camps. So many posts to like. This is the true voice of the people. Let's commemorate tonight. Maybe tomorrow it's going to be songs and dances again, but at least we know that we are awake, right? That's what they do. They make you feel like you are alone. They make you feel that you are the small minority when in fact you are the large majority. Um, it's happening in this country. It's happening around the world. It's really happening very aggressively in these communist dictatorships like China and Russia. But it's happening all over the place with the abuse of big tech and the kind of coercion with big government, big government and big tech working together and media to shape and control uh, people's opinions 
uh, and what they think. So that happened for like a few hours in the middle of the night. It's kind of a mystery how Weibo sensors allowed these posts to remain visible for so long. So like a few hours was very abnormal. Uh, but soon after 4 a.m. in China, some pointed to exactly 4.19 a.m., everything is gone. Now you will only find posts from official accounts uh, with blue check marks, right? So just like that, boom, it's gone. History is erased. And let me ask you this. If the government and through the big tech monopolies control the newspapers, right? That's what happened in 1984, right? Main character in 1984 was actually working in the department. I think he was working in the Ministry of Truth. And he would go back and edit newspapers from months or years prior to make the newspapers line up with what was actually happening, right? So what is the practical, you know, 21st century version of that is when you control the tech monopolies, right? The content platforms, and you go and you scrub content and you remove, you, you remove content, you penalize people for talking about things they shouldn't be talking about. It's the same thing, right? Like you're controlling history. If you control all of that information, even if that isn't actually what happened, but if you control the information that talks about what happened, what is the history, right? What are people to actually believe? And you do that so long and you do that so much and you just confuse people and they kind of just don't know what to believe anymore. And that is actually the whole point of uh, this environment in the book 1984 is like eventually you just don't even know what to believe and you kind of just stop paying attention. And you kind of just are living in this state of like not reality, you don't know what's real, you don't know what isn't, you try and just not really think about it, pay attention to it. You kind of just go along with whatever you're supposed to go along with because you know not to ask any questions, right? Like, and, and you think about that and you line that up here, right? If you were to talk on social media uh, in the U.S. about where did COVID come from, right? Where did, did COVID come from a lab? You couldn't talk about that six months ago. That is not freedom of speech. It's not what these platforms were built to do. They contain so much power when that tap power is abused, right? Something that can be so good can now be so bad. Now you're seeing that play out in spades in China and Russia, but don't delude yourself. It's absolutely happening here. Just maybe not to the same degree, but there shouldn't be degrees of this stuff, right? We shouldn't tolerate even one iota of it. We've got the latest version of the Andreessen Marketplace 100 report. They've now been doing this for a couple of years and, um, yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting ranking. Again, it's Andreessen, so anything they do is going to get a lot of interest. There are some really cool companies. I saw some really cool individual companies that I want to highlight on this list. But then, I don't know, just the methodology for how they're ranking this is kind of suspect. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit. But let's talk about some of the ones that I thought just were really cool. This one is called Teachers Pay Teachers. The go-to platform created by teachers for teachers to access the community content and tools they need to teach at their best. Founded in 2006, TPT provides a marketplace for teachers to exchange instructional materials and access easy-to-use digital tools. They have a catalog of over 5 million pieces of educator-created content and more than 7 million educators, including 85% of the pre-K, pre-K through 12 U.S. teachers. Wow, right? Um, this was a new, this wasn't even on the top 100 last year. Completely new addition to the Andreessen 100, and it came in at number eight, right? 
So it means they got to be doing some pretty serious volumes. So I looked this company up and why I thought it was interesting just beyond what they're doing is it's kind of like a ghost. So they said they were founded in 2006 on their site. which is also kind of suspect because, you know, my sources say that uh, the company was acquired by Scholastic in 2006. How are they founded and then acquired in the same year? Kind of bizarre. Then they were um, sold out of Scholastic to the company's management in 2009. Uh, okay. And then they raised a big round of $64 million five years later in 2014. And that was it. They haven't raised any other money since. So presumably, the, you know, the company is profitable eight years without raising any money was maybe like kind of co-created by Scholastic. If they said they were found in 2006 and then my thing says they're acquired in 2006, right? That seems too coincidental. So I want to say might have been pseudo founded kind of with or maybe like by people that were part of Scholastic and then left Scholastic to go start this thing or something. There's got to be some deeper story there. I don't, I'm not privy to it. This to me is begging for some kind of strategic tie up with one of these large uh, kind of educational content companies, right? Which there are a few of them. They've been doing a lot of M&A and consolidation recently, but this looks like a marketplace that has huge, huge penetration amongst the educated community, is profitable, generating, you know, certainly positive free cash flow, really has a monopoly on this kind of user-generated, like teacher-generated content space, uh, and I'm sure is making a bunch of other investments that would be highly synergistic with a kind of large traditional, uh, you know, educational publisher, right? That, and all those players are trying to figure out how do they embrace new digital business models and create some moats uh, from the large tech monopolies that are making huge, huge uh, inroads with the education institutions. You know, I'm talking about the Google and the Apples of the world, of course, Amazon of the, of the world, really trying to embed themselves in that space. So if I'm a, if I'm a big publisher of educational content, uh, I'm a little nervous and looking for things just like this, right? Like it wasn't even on the top hundred last year. It's not like this company just magically rose to stardom in the past year, right? They're obviously making moves for, for years leading up to this current year's ranking on the top 10, but I don't even think they're on Andreessen's radar, right? Which, which just goes to show you a couple of interesting things. One, how many niches you're seeing marketplaces embed themselves in you know what what look like small little niches like who would have thought right teacher generated kind of content little quizzes and puzzles and course instructions right like um but yeah you got a wildly successful business here if they raised 64 million dollars uh eight years ago right they definitely had a lot of traction back then let alone what they're doing now that looks like a very cool company this one was crazy this one's top 12 also a new addition to the ranking this year. Uh, it's called TCG Player. This thing is basically to buy and sell trading cards, like physical trading cards, magic cards, Pokemon cards, Dragon Ball uh, cards. Are like Star Wars cards not cool anymore? Oh, here they are, Star Wars cards. I used to have Star Wars cards growing up. TCG is, is raising debt, right? I mean, again, these 
Like if you're raising debt means you got nice cash flows, you don't need to raise equity. Um, you know, the, the lender looks at your cash, your profitability, you know, you're not hemorrhaging money, right? You're not going to get Vista, which is a very sophisticated kind of private equity tech investor gave these guys $35 million in debt financing last year. You don't get those deals unless you really have a strong uh, business. I mean, you look at the other players on these top 100, these are serious multi-multi-billion dollar players on, like, look at this. Those two companies beat out Outdoorsy. Outdoorsy raised $100 million last summer at a $1.6 billion valuation, right? That's number 16. You got these two new players here within the top 12, which were never on the list before, ever, right? Which means they were not on Andreessen's radar went right into the top 12 with teachers pay teachers at number eight and TCG player at number 12, right? You, I mean, you look at these businesses, you go, wow, right? I mean, that is, this is, uh, I mean, that's the, 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 mo- the craziest takeaway to me out of this whole list is like, not, I'm not blaming Andreessen that they missed this, but it just goes to show you how much innovation is actually going on, right? That even a company like Andreessen does not have full visibility on the spectrum of like market of marketplaces getting material traction that these guys are new to the list. And this is like the, at least the third year running for this list beat out fair, which was our top B2B marketplace ranking. We did a B2B marketplace ranking, which we are about to do a refresh on. So stay tuned for that. But fair was our, on our inaugural list, which came out last year of the top 50, Fair was our number one. And boy, did we nail that, that ranking. Uh, FAIR, since our ranking came out, raised a uh, $400 million round in November of 2021 at a $12 billion valuation. What's also weird about this Andreessen list is this is literally the only company in wholesale on the list, right? One-on-one. But like, I thought this was, you read the thing and it says, hundred ranking a ranking of the largest consumer-facing marketplaces. But then they put fair on here at 15, which they even label them as wholesale. Okay. You go to fair's website, they're selling to retailers who then buy the products and sell those to consumers. But this is not a consumer facing marketplace. This is a B2B marketplace and it's massive. So a, I don't know, the Andreessen ranking is a little bit wonky here. Okay. That's point one. Point two is there's more that are new to the list and in the top 20 still doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. That are just are not exciting. Like gold belly. I don't know how did gold belly catch you by surprise. I don't get it. Beating out fair $12 billion valuation. These guys are just popping onto the list. I guess it's tough really for Andreessen to do this list because you know, they're kind of conflicted. Like wouldn't you just want to put all of Andreessen's portfolios on here? Like how are you going to, are you going to, They're not really saying we're ranking these companies based upon the future potential. They're kind of looking at it on a historical basis, right? So they've got a lot of ticketing companies on this list because they're saying, look, the ticketing companies have seen huge jumps in volume because because now the lockdowns are gone. Hopefully they stay gone uh, and people are going out to events again. So, hey, look, the ticketing companies are blowing up, right? But, you know, what's more interesting, the way we did our, our ranking of the top 50 was to kind of say, who do we think are best positioned for the 50, right? Or of these, these 50, we think have the, the highest potential. 
based upon their historical, but also where we think they're going. That to me is more interesting, but hey, okay, I'm a little biased too, but hey, that's kind of just how I would think about doing it. But I guess these guys, much harder for them to do that because obviously the ones that they think they're the most bullish on for the future, they've invested in. So it's an interesting list nonetheless. I'm sure, you know, go check it out. Uh, you'll find some names that, that stick out to you and maybe some that don't. Thanks for watching. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll talk to you next week.